0: Page turning is a skill that's talked about among pianists to the most and string players to a lesser degree. Pianists have a certain method that you see consistently. String players have a different approach because they're usually trying to play and turn pages for the outside member of the stand. Everything that happens on a stage is part of the choreography, including the page turns. The audience can see the page being turned and witness the success or failure of the action sometimes. Welcome back to Accelerando. I'm Paula Tuttle, and this week we're examining page turning. Is it stressful? Do piano soloists have requirements for their minions? Has anyone been paid to turn pages professionally? Let's find out. Victor Borga did a couple of shticks with page turners. In one, the page turner added a lot to the comedic enterprise. He was super tall. He had no chair, and he couldn't read music. And Victor Borga plays on all of this in his routine. Well, I'm sorry about that. Will somebody come and help me, please? I need somebody to turn the pages for me. Anybody here? You work here? What do you do? I call the lights. I beg your pardon? I call the lights. (laughs) I don't think you heard me. I said, what do you do here? I call the lights. You call the lights? What do you call the lights? (laughs) I never got to see Victor Borga live. I did see Peter Schigley at least three times. And he did a routine, and I saw it later in a Borga clip where he has a page turner. There's a problem with the lights, and the lights flicker, and then they go out, and it's pitch black. But the pianist keeps performing, and about eight seconds later, the lights turn back on, and Shickley and the page-turner have switched places. Now, Shickley is turning pages, and the page-turner is playing the piano. It was hilarious. There has been at least one movie made about a page-turner. The movie was called, if you can believe it, The Page-Turner. It's a French film, and it was screened at the Cannes Film Festival in 2006. So the protagonist is an aspiring young pianist, and she auditions in front of a famous pianist. And the aspiring pianist gets distracted when the famous pianist talks to an admirer during her audition, and the performer messes up and doesn't win. Apparently, she never forgets this incident so she finds herself, she has an opportunity to ingratiate herself to the famous pianist and her life and her family. And after a lot of maneuvering, she becomes the famous pianist's page-turner. And she then ruins the famous pianist in order to get revenge for the incident early in her career. Not quite a bunny boiler, but Hitchcock-like on some level, as the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes put it. I haven't seen the movie. It might be great cinema. I don't know. But it does show that there is some theater in turning pages. And there actually is a lot of drama on the stage if you consider the page-turner in a serious situation could ruin a performance. I went to Nanette Kaplan's recital at Carnegie Mellon University, and she was playing an all-20th and 21st century program. And it was the music of Nikolai Lepetnikov and Nancy Galbraith. Both are associated with Carnegie Mellon as composition teachers. Galbraith was in the audience. Lepitnikov died in 1976. Solomon chose to turn her own pages, and since it was all 20th century music, she didn't want to memorize it, obviously. And perhaps it was easier than worrying about a page-turner. She sometimes had more than two pages set out on the onset so that she could manage without the turner. For the finale of the concert... Luce Manriquez joined her for Nancy Galbraith's Effervescent Air for Piano Four Hands. So now joining in on stage was Lutz at the second piano and two young men to turn each of the pianist's pages. I'm describing this because for the entire concert, the page turners turned at different times. Which brings up another comedic piece I'll talk about in a minute. But this wasn't comedy. The page turns were maybe set at different times so it wasn't distracting. Distracting for the pianist, distracting for the audience. And so as not to throw off the page turners themselves. There was only one time I saw the page turners turn in unison. The whole act of watching the page turners was a bit of a drama. Each pianist wants the page turned slightly differently. Each turner decided how much time they needed to execute the page turn. Maybe the reason there was one, or at least one, place they both turned simultaneously was so we didn't wonder why there wasn't just one page-turner going from one piano to the other. And maybe I'm the only person in the room that thought about these page-turning acts at all. I've been a page-turner, and once you do a thing and you have a very granular outlook on it, you see it differently, I suppose. Leonard Shore asked me to turn pages for him when he played the Brahms D minor piano concerto with the Boston Philharmonic. I was given some pretty specific instructions. Leonard told me when to turn, whether to stand or sit. I was told to never stand. I had to turn from the bottom of the page. The only time I stood was right when Mr. Shore was leaving the stage. My job was to take the music, too. And, of course, I stayed off stage after that when there were numerous curtain calls. You see, there's lots of choreography that goes with a stage performance. It's all supposed to look automatic, but it isn't. Everything from the setting of the stands and the chairs to the lighting is planned with painstaking precision. In a piano recital, the amount of choreography is not as much as, say, an opera or ballet, but it's choreography nonetheless. When something isn't taken into account, we have to fix it on stage. Sometimes the stage isn't set right, and you need to make adjustments. It's best if there are next to no changes. The artists just swoop onto the stage as if no one ever had to think of the details. The stage should be perfect. What people don't realize is how much work goes into that illusion. The page turners did a fantastic job tonight, and a lot of work must have gone into making it look as good as it did. Truth be told, I've had a mishap or two turning pages... I was happily perfect for Leonard Shore on both performances. The first was in Jordan Hall, and the second was at Harvard. My best friend was at the Harvard performance, and she was so impressed, she asked me to turn pages for her senior recital the next week. I said yes, but unfortunately, I was really distracted at her performance, and I didn't turn well. In Full disclosure of why I was so distracted, after that Harvard concert, I was hit by another car in an intersection when going home. My car was totaled. I was okay. But now carless, I had to take the T or the subway system to her recital when I went to BU, Boston University. So a second unsettling incident occurred. The trolley was above ground going on Commonwealth Avenue and it hit and killed a pedestrian. I probably should have insisted I couldn't do it. But I think the problem was, people were thinking, what's the big deal? But it is a big deal. If you're on stage and distracted, it's never a good thing. So to finish the story, I missed a turn. The pianist made a fast turn herself. The kind that everyone can see and hear. And there I am with egg on my face. I had a bad day, but someone else had a worse day. Back to the lighter side of page turning. It can be a source of comedy, like when Peter Shickley and Victor Borga did the trick with the page-turner in the lights. At Eastman, I went to a friend's clarinet recital, and it was very serious for the most part. The first piece had some comedic parts like a surgical glove coming out of the bell of the clarinet. The second piece was called The Dissolution of the Serial" by Sidney Hodkinson. He was a resident composer and an ensemble conductor. And this piece was scored for a page-turner, as well as a clarinet and piano. The Page-Turner had to turn the pages for both the instrumentalists. Sometimes the instrumentalists had to wait for the Page-Turner. Hodkinson was making commentary about stage choreography. But a lot of things happened in this piece, and eventually, the entire performance became unhinged. The Page-Turner had a big role in this and the performance was supposed to fall apart. Eventually, the pianist actually lit a cigarette on stage by running a match across the keys. And yes, this was part of the clarinetist's required recital for his degree. It was amusing. He finished the concert with serious works, just so you know, like the Mozart Clarinet Concerto. So maybe this is why it occurred to me that there could have been only one page turner. Except for the one place where neither pianist could have turned their page themselves because they were really busy playing a fiery passage with both hands engaged in octaves and handfuls of notes. And the turns were simultaneous. Who else is going to notice these things? Probably anyone who's turned pages for a pianist in front of an audience. And those of us that remembered the dissolution of the serial. Actually, anyone who's directed an opera or a work where they're in charge of continuity and minutiae they might think this way. I have a friend who came every year to play a piano piece with us at the Pittsburgh Ballet Theatre. He came in eighth in the Tchaikovsky competition one year, which is a very big deal. Bill Wolfram played with us almost annually in works scored for piano and orchestra, like the Tchaikovsky Concerto No. 3. It's a Balanchine work called Allegro Brilliant, and we're performing it this year, but that's with Yolande Cullen at the piano. So, like I said, Bill came almost every year for about 10 years, and his favorite page-turner was Mary Lou Dushel. And her best quality, according to Bill, was she couldn't read music. Bill would give her two cues, one to get ready and one to turn. Mary Lou was a trained dancer, so these kinds of cues and reactions were hardwired into her reflexes for decades. She was, at the time, the executive assistant to Patricia Wilde, the artistic director of the ballet. So Bill worked with lots of page turners, and he said Mary Lou was the very best. One time, Mary Lou wasn't available, and Bill and I being friends, I suggested I try turning. It was a solo work, and I would just be backstage. So Bill said he had reservations, but we went into the pit between rehearsals, and he gave me a shot. He would signal, and I'd get ready, and then I was supposed to react to his second signal. I guess I failed. He said he didn't want me to read the notes. How was I to turn off reading the notes? He said he didn't know. I tried two or three more times. No go. I wasn't given the job. A young dancer in the corps or the school did the turning that night. I asked Bill how it went. He said he missed Mary Lou. He missed her because when he was performing, she didn't distract him. Lutz Manriquez said that about her page turners. She said, I didn't even know they were there. To be both invisible and of service is the job of a great page turner. You can't dress in a flashy outfit, make sudden motions, or take a bow. You're there to make someone else look good. There are freelance page turners, people that get paid to do this job. One such professional turner is Michael Graham. He would do this as a side hustle, maybe three times a month. Michael says it's one of the most difficult jobs in the music industry, and it goes uncredited. Meaning, yes, he gets paid, many do not, but you don't get mentioned, and you don't get to take a bow. And the most he ever received for turning pages was $135 for two rehearsals and a performance. He believes his reading skills are an asset, which is the opposite of Bill's preference when it comes to turners. Graham seemed to like the opportunity of meeting performers and being part of the performances. Otherwise, $135 for three services really isn't a living wage. Several of my friends, including pianists, now use an iPad with a pedal that turns the pages via Bluetooth. This does away with the page turner, and it's not putting anybody out of work since it's always a pro bono service anyways. It's giving the pianist some peace of mind. It's less hassle finding a turner, less frustration when the turner isn't going your speed, so it's less stress on the performance. So you usually have a choice, the hard copy or the iPad. It's a convenient option. It's also backlit, so you don't need a stand light. Three out of four members of the string quartet, Bayo, used iPads last time I saw them. They were at the city of asylum. The three chin instruments used iPads and foot pedals. The cellist used standard printed music. So I asked Ryan, why didn't you use an iPad like everyone else? He said, Sean the violist just switched over to the iPad. It was kind of an accident. He had an emergency. and He had to try the iPad, and he liked it. Ryan will probably do the same, but for now, he has some discomfort lifting his knee while playing. So I get that something was holding him back, but the next-to-last piece included some percussion that everybody had to attach to their foot. The four players all had to stomp their feet in some tricky rhythms, and this could be reason enough to forego an iPad and pedal. Ryan said it did add to the technical problems. He said, Jason and Gio learned to stomp with the foot opposite their page turning foot. Sean really hadn't planned to switch to iPad. So early on, he might stomp when he means to turn the page. And this can be momentarily disruptive. Pianists like to use the iPad because they can forego the page turner. The pedal usually goes on the left foot because the right foot is engaged with the sustain pedal. Pianists who play the cello like me don't like having to switch the page-turning activity to the left foot, but it's the only way. Technology is great, but there's always a price. One last thing. What about the organist who has both feet engaged already? How can they turn pages? Alan Lewis, the music director and organist at Calvary Episcopal, uses an app that turns pages with facial recognition. You make a gesture with your eyes or your mouth, and it turns the page. Fourscore has this ability if you upgrade to Fourscore Pro for $10 a year. It's called Fourscore Gestures. You get to pick your gesture. Alan does a double eye blink. Maybe somebody already thought of this. You can twitch your mouth like Samantha in Bewitched. <coughs> or like Jeannie in I Dream of Jeannie. You can raise an eyebrow. You can flare your nostrils. Or sneer. Have fun with it. I want to mention that I made a month of going to live music. I went to the Pittsburgh Symphony, the Pittsburgh Opera, a piano recital at CMU, and a string quartet at the City of Asylum. Every single one was fantastic, and I'm glad I went, and I hope I get to do more. Maybe you can up your live music intake this month. It's a great way to support musicians in your community. I also need to mention our music department head at the University of Pittsburgh, Michael Heller. Michael is the interim chair right now. He's a jazz scholar and a musicologist. He does research on improvisation and ethnomusicology, finding methodologies that resonate today in our world. So the idea for the opera supertitles came out of his book, just beyond listening. And I should have referenced his work verbally on the podcast. I hope I'm making it right. Thank you, Michael. I don't think you ever imagined someone would pick that part of your book to make a podcast on. As you pointed out, an adjacent, nearly obscure subject in relation to the rest of the book, to me, it was a goldmine. To any of you that missed that episode, it was called Opera Supertitling. It was number 90, and you can find it in all of the past episodes on echelarondocast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And most of all, thank you for supporting live music. That's it for this week, and we'll see you next time.